0: It's Halloween, and since we love this holiday, we are celebrating by releasing two episodes this week. First, you'll hear Alicia's story of the institution. And on Thursday, the 29th, Emily will be telling you a tale of the death echo. Be sure to follow us on social media and subscribe so you don't miss any of our treats or tricks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Emily Rowney. And I'm Alicia Holland.
1: This is Bill Camp, the voice of Forensic Files 2 on HLN, and you're listening to Murder in the Rain.
0: Just a few days ago, my 13-year career in education, seven of which were spent in mental health facilities, came to an end. Thanks, COVID. But I'm excited, albeit terrified, to start my new career focusing on being a creator. It's a dream, really, but I'm going to miss my kids and coworkers. Throughout those years, I have heard over and over, as I'm sure anyone listening that works in any kind of care or service job does, you're a saint, it takes a certain kind of person to do that job, wow, you must have never-ending patience. I struggle with those statements and not just because I hate compliments. It was my job. It was my calling. It was always the easiest and most difficult job. You know, like being a parent, except to a lot of kids that aren't yours. I also felt like a lot of times those praisings came from a place of unknowing and maybe even fear. When I say mental health facility, I'm not sure what you picture, but I can guess based off what I used to think and what movies and TV have made me think. You picture a large, ominous building that, even though it has only been abandoned for 20 years, it is totally rotting from the inside. The paint and wallpaper hang atop itself. There's a mix of vandalism from people breaking in now and the remains of the musings of mad people. Everything is sepia-toned. There are sporadic bed frames and mattresses with springs exposed. And for no damn reason, there's a baby carriage. Windows are broken, hallways are dark, you walk by an empty room to see a rocking chair rocking on its own. And if that is what you picture, it does sound scary. So if someone is doing something you think is scary, you're going to thank them saintly and the like. But please, even though today's story might sound scary for the most part, facilities like this that are operational today are nothing like what you picture. So let's squash that stigma right now. I had always worked in school settings, though, where, with the exception of extra break spaces, locked doors, and seeing kids in restraints, you wouldn't know it was anything besides a school. I will say, since this is Halloween, I have had a ghostly encounter at one of my buildings, and I would like to share it as it's spooky. I had just started with a new organization, and within a few days, I had my first restraint which for anyone that has done this type of work, you know this is like a football player being called off the bench or a soldier in their first gunfight. It's a time to step up and show your team you are capable, calm, supportive of the client and their safety, and aware of your surroundings so you can cover for your teammates. So it's my first restraint with one of our larger and more aggressive students. To give you an idea of how strong he was, he struggled with the bad habit of pulling his own teeth out (gasps) with his fingers. Anywho, so there were eight staff involved in the restraint, and I was on one of the client's legs. Before I knew it, he had maneuvered his leg to where I was between his calf and the corner of a wall that had a metal plate on it, so it wouldn't get destroyed if it was kicked. Then I felt a staff member push on my back to step over me to switch out a teammate. When they did, they pushed their hand on my ribs, and with the pressure from the kiddo's leg and the wall, it was all too much. I had my hood over my face for spit and bite protection, so I couldn't see who it was. But as I was losing my breath, I yelled out, get off of me. I can't breathe. And I twisted what I could of my back to try to get them off. They got the memo and they moved over quickly. A while later, the restraint was over and my coworker and I were debriefing. She then hesitantly asked me what I was yelling about with my back. I explained the situation and she responded with, that's what we thought. I was clearly confused, so she went on to explain that as I was saying that, her and our supervisor looked over to each other, baffled as to what I was referencing. She went on to say, there was no one there. No one was on your back. I'm telling you, I felt every detail of that hand and the pressure. I could tell the difference between the wall and the leg and the hand, but I didn't want to sound like I didn't know what was happening, so I just left it with a, ha, must have been a ghost, ha, ha, ha. Her face dropped. I tilted my head inquisitively, and she said, Yeah, I have a name for him. I was gobsmacked. Excuse me? She then explained to me that a few years prior, when our school was a residential facility, meaning the clients lived on campus and went to school, whereas we were used for school hours only, a 12-year-old boy had hung himself in the bathroom, the next door over from where I was being pushed into the wall. Sometimes things go missing from our office, she continued. I blame him. So, yes, perhaps negative energies can stay in places or present in different ways. Personally, I struggle with letting the dead rest and hoping they carry on with us. And perhaps these buildings, with such intense energy in them for years on end, can continue holding that energy even after the residents have passed. And so often, that energy and inability to move on is connected to years of abuse, neglect, medical torture, and lack of accountability on the part of the perpetrators of such acts. And when it comes to those, there was a facility in Salem, Oregon, that checked all the boxes. Now, it's just another former mental health facility that was built 100 years ago, has been abandoned, and turned into the macabre vision we all imagine. And that place is the Fairview Training Center.
1: Many of the patients need daily or more frequent simple medications administered by practical nurses. Kozier Cottage is somewhat like a special hospital for the chronically ill, the very young chronically ill who have the additional complication of being mentally retarded. Emergency treatment is needed, and for this, the cottage is equipped and prepared.
0: Established in 1907, it had the less PC moniker of State Institution for the Feeble-Minded. As a hospital, it started with 39 patients, which had come from the Oregon Insane Asylum. Then came 1923, when Oregon did what I love to talk about best, created a horrific law. Don't worry, it's not racist this time, but it is terrible. The dictionary definition of eugenics is the study of how to arrange reproduction within a human population to increase the occurrence of heritable characteristics regarded as desirable. You can probably guess where this story is going. That's right. The Oregon state legislature passed the bill called to prevent procreation of certain classes of Oregon. For 64 years, the Oregon State Board of Eugenics, which was created post the bill passing into law, forced the sterilization of over 2,600 Oregonians, making Oregon one of only 33 states to practice eugenics. This board of people was charged with deciding whom of the patients would receive sterilization. Those that were chosen fell under the categories of... Insane, feeble-minded, epileptic, habitual criminals, moral degenerates, sexual (laughs) perverts, sexual deviants, antisocials, and menaces to the public. So basically, we all definitely qualify. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. From the inception of the law until just six years later, over 300 sterilizations took place at Fairview. That law may sound bad, but at least it was better than the law from 1893 that prohibited any man that was epileptic, imbecilic, or feeble-minded from marriage or intercourse with a woman under 45 years old. Granted, idiotic men shouldn't get to bask in the company of marvelous women, but that's different. Staying true to Oregon form, we were the only state that had people organized against the practice of sterilization, but to say it took a while for anyone to listen would be an understatement. Fairview Training Center was home to anyone that struggled with developmental and physical disabilities, no different than the kids I worked with. They just needed someone to listen to them and treat them like everyone else was being treated. And according to their own words, that is what they were doing.
1: It is important to realize that these people are relatively happy in the facilities provided by the state of Oregon. They don't need pity nearly as much as your continued knowledge of their existence and the support necessary to maintain proper care and treatment. There are a few patients in Patterson who are capable of simple craft and hobby activities, but because of their physical handicaps, they are unable to attend the school on Fairview's grounds. A special teacher visits Patterson to encourage and help these children to develop recreational skills.
0: That audio came from the hard-to-watch and very creepy training film In Our Care, which is on YouTube. It shows a video of the children playing in very plain and empty rooms and only with each other. It's heartbreaking. There were multiple cottages on the property, allowing for different ages and abilities to be housed together. Then came time for release. We would now call it being discharged, but they also called their clients inmates, just to give you an idea on how they were viewed. Anyway, if a client was deemed fit for discharge, they were not allowed to just go home. They or their guardians would have to sign an agreement to sterilization, because it was that or stay institutionalized. The sterilizations came in all forms, from vasectomies to removal of fallopian tubes, all the way to castrations.
2: I lived in Fairview from 65 to 72. I was one of these people who got sterilized. My dad and I had to sign a paper that I did not understand until afterwards. I, didn't,
3: I did not have a choice. Before people got to go out in the community from Fairview, they would have to have a sterilization every one of us
0: that was the voice of ruth morris a survivor of fairview when she was a teenager she was all set to leave after spending time in the deplorable conditions of the center but her father had to make a choice have his daughter back home but sterilized or have her stay in the hospital so he made that choice and ruth came home not fully understanding the weight of what had happened to her but I don't want you to think that the practice of eugenics was the only terrible thing happening there, because of course there was a history of abuse. With a growing population ballooning to over 1,300 clients or inmates by 1981, it sounds like the staff never received the training we all do now. Instead of collaborative problem-solving, they would use verbal and physical abuse, sometimes accompanied with leather cuffs, straitjackets, sedatives, cow whips, isolation, hot water, and razor straps to enforce expectations. There's even an account from a former employee that stated he saw clients handcuffed to 60-pound blocks before being forced to push them through the hallways. The unnatural cause of death rate of clients at Fairview was twice as high as those that didn't reside in the facility. All of these claims led to an investigation and substantiation, which halted federal funding. But from what I was able to find, no charges for the abuse or deaths were ever brought forward. It wasn't until 1983 that the eugenics law was revoked. That was not very long ago, like at all. I mean, as far as years go, those very recent and is not old. Was that your birth year? <laughs> it was. Like, so recent. <laughs> then in 2000, the doors to Fairview closed forever, and in 2002, Governor John Kitshopper made a formal apology to the victims of the law, the practice of sterilization, and the over 10,000 clients that had passed through Fairview's doors.
1: The time has come to apologize for public policies that labeled people as defective. To those who suffered... I say the people of Oregon are sorry.
3: I felt good that he apologized.
0: I know that the opening to this hellhole being over 100 years ago makes this feel far away. But victims of these practices are still living. After all, they ended only 37 years ago. (laughs) One such victim that deserved an apology was Molly Daly, She was only two years old when, due to a club foot, a lazy eye, and societal expectations, she was taken by family members to Fairview. Her brother Jeff was only six years old and couldn't understand what was happening. Then Molly didn't come home. And then a year went by. Then another. Then a decade. And another. And then Molly had been gone for nearly 50 years. While no one in the family spoke of Molly as the whole purpose of getting rid of her was to save face because people are awful, Jeff didn't forget about his sister. He just learned to not ask about her. And neither did her father. He would visit, but the exchanges, as they so often do in these scenarios, were too emotionally difficult for Molly. So instead of creating a plan to facilitate the meetings and her emotional needs, they told her father to stop visiting. So he did. Sort of. He wouldn't take no for an answer, so he decided to be a clown, literally. Donning face makeup and a wig, he would go to the facility to perform with the troupe that he had founded the same year she went away, allowing him to check in on his daughter without upsetting her or the staff. That makes that song, Send in the
2: Clowns, have a
0: totally different meaning. Oh, that gave my heart goosebumps. Soon, the family had another son, and they moved on with their lives, but Jeff couldn't leave her behind. So while he had trained himself to stop thinking of her when he was a child, as an adult, he made it his life's mission to find his sister. When Jeff's father passed away, information was found, and three phone calls later, Jeff, with the help of his wife, Cindy, was able to locate Molly. She was still institutionalized, but she had moved to a group home after Fairview had closed. All of that inspired Jeff to make a documentary in 2007 titled, Where's Molly? Molly was nearing her 50th birthday. The siblings reunited, and with a flood of emotions, reconnected. Molly now had more severe disabilities than just the lazy eye and clubbed foot due to institutionalization. So Jeff wasn't able to learn from her directly what she had been through all alone for all those years.
1: How many, you know, how, how many times do you think you ran away before well, you were in therapy? Huh more than
3: I could count. He yeah. did more than I did. <laughs> did you, you ran away more than once too though, huh? Yeah, uh, with a girl, not, well him and I ran away yeah. before, but before I met him I was running away with a girl. Okay, they'd come and chase you and, and bring us back and shackle us to the bed. Okay. My dad couldn't take care of me because my mother died mm-hmm. and I had my sister and my brother three of us and he couldn't take care of us so he had uh, uh, my aunt uh, Alice she took care of me for a while and she's the one that uh, decided to put me there yeah I went to the third grade okay and um, we went to school and we're supposed to go to school cooking and sewing and and play uh, uh
1: huh. Did they teach you stuff besides cooking and sewing? Did they teach you like, you know, reading, reading and writing, yeah. and arithmetic, things like that? A
3: little that. bit, off and on, yeah. They um, strapped the girls down sometimes.
1: Um, in the beds? Or?
3: In the bed. Uh-huh. And on the girls' cottage they, um, well they did, they um, scald them and stuff like that. Too. Scald,
1: scald yes. them? Scald
3: them in hot water. Wow. They did. So most of the girls, they don't behave themselves, they get in my parents call them
1: <coughs> Huh, the staff would do yeah. that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, as and punishment.
3: Yeah. I think us girls were scared, yeah. you know, we were uh. frightened and scared. If we say something, tell, tell them
0: on somebody, we would get, you know, in trouble. Sadly, Molly passed away just before her 60th birthday, allowing her to be with her family for the last 10 years of her life. You can order the DVD Where's Molly from whereismolly.net. And it really is a very interesting story about family dynamics of the, the shame and stigma that went with all of this. He talks about that he would ask his parents all the time about his sister and then really he just had to give up and that he reconnected with his wife who had been his middle school girlfriend spoiler alert and then they reconnected and her first question was how's your mom how's your dad how's Molly and he was like I hadn't even I I had trained myself to not think about it and so they were able so it's a very fascinating heart wrenching story I know what you're thinking but Alicia this is true crime and Halloween and all you've done is bum us out (laughs) I know So here's the spooky side. Ooh, spooky. Hi, everyone.
2: I'm Talia, attorney and co-host of the True Crime podcast, Crimes and Consequences. Listen to Crimes and Consequences to hear your favorite true crime cases, plus many murder stories you've never heard before. At Crimes and Consequences, we dive deep into the details of the crime, so if you have a fascination with the morbid side of human nature, you're really going to want to check us out. Go to Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your favorite true crime stories, and subscribe to Crimes and Consequences, a hardcore
0: true crime podcast. For a study of a 25-year period, 1963 to 1987, 52 unnatural deaths were documented from the Institute, but that's only for 25 of its nearly 100-year history, and those are the documented unnatural deaths. Then there is an issue of the remains that remain. Thousands of cremated former patients are warehoused, forgotten by accident or, more likely on purpose, by the families, just gathering dust as they wait to be brought home. So a person with any kind of mental health issue, plus a hospital-like facility, plus 100 years, plus abuse and deaths equals ghost stories. One of which is that there is a woman that wanders the grounds where Fairview was. She would show up at night and usually walk around the school, but never caused any harm, and her name is unknown. Then there is the male apparition that is seen in the kitchen of what was considered to be the most violent cottage. Although there have been no reports of him being violent or aggressive to those that have claimed to witness him, he's still very spooky. Of course, there's the typical, if you go there at night, there are screams and cries and sobs heard and, you know, the typical boring mental health facility haunts. And then there's this. On the property was a cistern, which I had to Google. And You're, I'm you don't know what it was. No, and I knew that you guys probably both know what it is. Mm-hmm. Would either of you like to give a better description than what I figured what out? What did you Google? put? What did you Google? That it's like a large underwater tank mm-hmm. for yeah. holding water, but it looks there's like columns and stuff. It's like big. Yeah,
2: I've never seen inside. I just know the word. I've never seen one before. Yeah, it looks but like, it, like oh, a fl- it, like it a looks little. like a flooded. It's like a flood chamber. Yeah. I don't know something out of a Spooky. movie. It's a man made. Like mm-hmm. water tank. Yeah, yeah it's like a huge, yeah. sept- like a I, walkable
0: septic yeah. system. Yeah. I
2: didn't know if it, that it had to be man made. I thought there could be, they probably our natural system. They're probably, but, yeah. well, it's kind of like a, are natural wells. Oh, well, true. Baby Jessica.
0: Yeah, too soon. <laughs> well, one day in 1923, roll call was being taken in class and a young boy by the name of Holly Pollock didn't respond to his name being called. As running away or attempting to do so wasn't unusual for the patients that had the physical ability to, the staff assumed that was the case. Three weeks went by, and if I had to guess, family members were not informed that their son was missing, but he still was. Then a nurse started to run water for her laundry. Oh,
2: no. But
0: something didn't look right. As it had happened now and again, she assumed an animal had gotten into the cistern. As more water ran... Chunks started to come out of the faucet, and what the chunks were started to become clearer. They were chunks of hair and chunks of flesh. The cistern was checked, and that was when the body of Holly Pollock was found. He had drowned. And that is all there is to Holly's story. Not one word of an investigation, nothing proving he had attempted to run away, and not that he was just victimized, as so many mentally and physically disabled persons are, just that his body decomposed to the point that it was coming through the water pipes. That is horrific and reminds me of that case. The girl in California at the hotel. Alyssa. Mm -hmm. Is that her name? um, Alyssa. Oh my gosh! What is, is her name? Alyssa something? It, uh, that that's that for me is that that's my Jean Bonnet. That's my. I need more answers case. on that case. That's a good case
2: because they have all that video too uh-huh. of her. Um, yeah, my gut is something went down and he was put there.
0: Yeah, because it's that? one thing to go exploring if you're a kid, but. There, It's too many things. Of oh, At the very least, it's neglect. A premise of
2: a horror movie waiting to happen. Was mm-hmm. it the kids? Did they gang up on him? Was it a doctor? Oof.
0: Tales are now told about that part of the property, that cars nearest the cistern will often not start, that even though it is now boarded up, you can hear cries from the cistern, that the figure of a young boy can be seen near it. Perhaps it's Holly, distraught over what happened to him, maybe trying to bring attention to his death so an investigation could take place, haunting in hopes of being heard. That cool. is a very sad bunch of stories. <laughs> You're welcome.
2: Um, I'm greatly affected by stories of this similar nature all over the U.S. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was... Well, Oregon,
0: Oregon State, and I mean the big one, that I mean, I could probably do a whole separate series on the stuff that went down, including the mass poisoning I we read. We could about probably do an night. entire oh, yeah,
2: season of yeah. just Yeah. I think we touched on one, which was from our live show, a guy mm-hmm. that was in there. I, I did mm-hmm. his case, but wow, that's really sad. And I just wonder of
0: what those poor kids went through and Yeah. I think these kind of cases it always for me, it, it always is just it's so weird that I haven't heard it. To know that, yeah, like, I didn't year, know that. I didn't know that case. This is not a hundred years ago. This is the year I was born. They stopped eugenics, you know, like that.
2: Well, I I knew that just because I took a class in college on it, which, which was really shocking at the time. Learning right. about how long those laws were in order, you know, people.
0: I mean, and you know, people I, that want to follow I, them. I definitely have opinions of sometimes how I feel about who should have kids or not. But <laughs> that is not for. Uh, but that's a very you bring, bring up a
2: good point. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, some people just shouldn't have kids like or you need a test to t- have a kid. But that's eugenics like exactly. your little
0: jab affected thousands of people. Yeah, it's it's hard because, you know, I as someone that ends up working with the children that are usually a product of people's choices, you know, when I have a kid sure. that can't function because his brain is literally not there. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, hard. It, it's in, hard to work in, in that, that and case, not think that way. So I can see where that would be like, oh, this would be beneficial because, you know, this person can't physically take care of themselves. Of course, they like I'm sure they saw it as doing a favor. Yeah, you know But in the case of the
2: kids you work with i feel like it's more of a your right should get taken away because
0: you've done this not a you should never have had oh no i'm saying i'm saying it's more like it's easy to see where you could i mean yeah and i i know obviously there's horrific people that are abusing and all of that but there is just that feeling at least for me of there's so much pain and hurt for that kid whether they're you know, wanting, wishing they could be, quote, normal or, you know, their physical pain, those kind of things where you're like, you don't want to see that continue to happen, you know? So it's, it's, but it's just not okay. (laughs) And like, period. I know. Well, and I remember
2: back in high school doing, you know, a speech class and everyone had to do an argumentative speech or like try to convince people to think your point of view. What is that called? Debate. Mm, it Forensics. Has a, it has a special name, anyway. Talking to Emily. Mine was uh about eugenics and about uh, you know adjusting DNA, picking and choosing mm. your babies, and how we need to be tighten our laws because once it gets blurry, like people have designer babies. Right. I want them to have blue eyes. I want it to have blonde hair. It is
0: very scary the yeah. types of people out there just playing along that line. Chrissy Teigen comes to mind only because she just lost her baby Um, and it was a whole uproar on social media because people are horrific and, you know, not being sympathetic. But um, that just comes to mind because I know, like, they're very open about that, that they have designer babies and they choose the sex and they, you know, and it's like, yeah, what point do you get to say what's right and what's wrong? Yeah. Why do you get to go so extreme that way of picking and choosing? And then you think that you can also go this extreme, like it's... Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's messy. And it's like, well, you can't you can't even go there. You can't even start playing with that because, yeah, where 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 is that line?
2: Yep, and then I think in my speech I brought up the movie Gattaca because of course i
0: mean. I couldn't help it. That was actually your starting point. Okay,
2: how? And I got to talk about it was my opening. I connected Gattaca (laughs) to Hitler, and then boom, you guys, I'm going to shock you with. You may think this way and not realize you're aligning Mm -hmm. with the way Hitler thought.
0: Exactly. Like hello, hello, people. Yeah, yeah. The casual, um, you know. I think especially in our culture, it's the casual. You should have to have a drug test before you can get. Uh, food stamps and then you should have this before you get you know and it's like yeah you can't go there you can't start like who is anyone to decide what anyone else is allowed to have or not have or any of that and uh, Hitler was a bad guy so yeah you don't want to be on his team (laughs) you guys did you know he was a
2: bad guy with ideals that a lot of people still have yeah so obviously yeah Alicia (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding.
0: I just I just
2: like to bring that up that it's really easy to kind of get closer to that Mm -hmm. line is what I'm saying for the average person.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. So those are just some of the far too many ghastly stories from just one mental institution from back in the day. Mentally unwell, developmentally delayed, physically handicapped. These men, women and children deserved more than to be marked as a runaway or to be found dead or to only sit as a bag of ashes waiting to be claimed. If hearing about forced sterilization was upsetting to you because you experience emotions, please check out unitedwedream.org for information on how you can support the women that are in ICE custody that are currently receiving forced hysterectomies. It has one of my favorite lines ever in music. It's, um... Take my love I'll never ask for too much Just all that you are <laughs> yeah. And everything that you do and yeah, It's like, it's funny. you know that is asking everything. A little much <laughs> Literally everything <laughs> There's nowhere to hide
2: you know, the love that I'll remember forever. forever Don't make me close Ooh. One more time those high notes girl i don't want to hurt anymore go for
0: it go ahead oh, go I th- ahead go i don't ahead. think i can man. stay in my arm. <laughs> it was interesting because you're like whoa that's hot and then it's like whoa that's scary and that's like are you grabbing her fallopian tubes like <laughs> <laughs> i'm braiding them
2: well he didn't know how to use his tool set and she what said it, she said it was literally out of out of Sex in the City like a jackhammer. She couldn't walk the next day. She called in Oof. sick.
0: <laughs> called I've in always s- said, the bigger the dick, the bigger the dick. I'm already very bored with this. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Thanks. <laughs> I, she should, I mean,
2: maybe we'll get on that yacht. Right? That's, That's what, what I said? said. If you motherfuckers don't bring me, I'm going to freak out. There is nothing better than early morning, open the balcony doors and just listen to the ocean yeah. <laughs> drinking coffee but it's they're fine they do well they have a big house lots of pets they don't have australia money no i don't i don't even have australian licorice money <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to get I you riled it. up for your spooky i day. can fucking tell i'm fine i both of us we're like we're gonna get her today I let's specifically get it said... wait, wait.
0: like that 20 minutes later you do that slower <laughs>
2: there you go it's been a while (laughs) while. (laughs) I have a light that hangs over where I put my desk which is my dining room and I've hit my head on it a couple times Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. barely I fucking nailed my head last night like I got up hit it shattered (gasps) Jesus. (gasps) (laughs) and I stood there like what the fuck because they, they talk about specifics. Or like, and know, they, chalk, the they chalk it up.
0: Oh, yeah. The cheating. The guys, stop <laughs> me. <laughs> it's too far.
2: <laughs> no, I can't say I hang around with the kind of kids that would be playing a clarinet, my
0: friend. First off, your judgment. Too cool. too you're, cool you're a bully to children, <laughs> as you are to all people. Yeah, that hurts. would be awesome. Cool. Hey, I never hit it. I'm like, damn. Quit it. <laughs> did you tell your grandma's story guess what i'm over it and i rewrote it here we go i will say i will say i will say that's the name of the episode
2: i will say you sure will right there that's what you do you just, keep
1: <laughs> just a loop
3: she
2: in her <laughs> oh, that
1: door doesn't lock <laughs> you say the state board of eugenics? Yes oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> that that. Whoa. There were multiple All of these claims led to an investigation And substanti- Oh my god uh, Substantiation <laughs> led to an investigation and substantiation. Why do I do this to myself? Were you born in 81?
2: 79. Oh, you're yeah. in 70s. Gen X, motherfucker.
0: <laughs>
2: Just
1: got in there.
0: You did. Murder in the Rain is produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Written and hosted by Emily Rowney and Alicia Holland. Artwork by Jamie Costa. Music by Kai Pfeiffer at k-y-f-i-f-e-r dot com.